Today I'm going to continue in the series that I have been in. It has grown to be probably one of my favorite series. I know we've put together a number of series over the years, but this has no doubt grown to be one of my favorites. Favorite in the sense that I have seen already how it's continuously throwing uh, a rescue buoy to them that are drowning. How many of you know that many believers are drowning in their religious gospel? And as curators, I think we have a responsibility to share the truth with people. That means we don't just walk around a mess, but we get involved. We avail ourselves to help people in their time of need. I'm calling this series The Case for Grace, Forsaking the Hybrid Gospel. And I'm going to be ministering this morning through the sixth message of this series. It's a message I'm calling Until Christ is Formed in You. Now, when I speak about Christ being formed in you, please understand that Jesus is not the one who is going through the state of transformation. That's what form means, means to be transformed. Jesus is not the one who is going through the state of transformation. You are. I am. We are. We're the ones who are being transformed. Once we come to Christ, that means once we are born again, our spirit man needs no further transformation. You see, in the twinkling of an eye, our spirit man is made perfect. And he is sealed until the day of redemption. Any transformation that continues to take place in us is in our soul and in our bodies. How many of you know? Come on. We're a three-part person, right? Spirit, soul, and body. The soul is the mind. It's the will. It's the emotional realm. That is the realm that we have to deal with life in. That is the area that is constantly being transformed if we will allow the Holy Spirit to do that. I know there's a direct connection, a direct correlation between what is in the soul and how the body responds. If you give a man hope, the body responds better than when a man has no hope. God has made us that way. How many of you know what a metamorphosis is? Most of us were first introduced to this concept. I don't remember if it was science class or biology, but I remember in school I learned about a metamorphosis. A metamorphosis is a dramatic change that Certain animals and insects go through during their life cycles. And these changes, these transformations can be extremely dramatic. The baby stage looks very different than the adult stage, right? In the same manner, it's reasonable to conclude that believers are going to experience transformation. You are not the same person that you were the day you said, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. You are not the same. You have changed. 
you can look back now and you can realize I am nothing like I was back then. I have changed. And again, I'm talking about in the way I think, the way I believe, the mind, the will, the emotions, that area that's always being transformed. So it's reasonable to conclude that believers are going to experience transformation. It's not just part of life, but it's part of being born again. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That means you are transforming. The old things have passed away. Behold, take a look. All things are become new. You see, as the Spirit takes up residence in us, He will begin expressing the necessity of a change in our character and conduct to correspond with our inward spiritual condition. Why? Because he loves congruity. He loves compatibility. He wants the outside of the man to look like the inside of the man. And I care about that in my life. I really do. I want the outside of the man to look like the inside of the man feels. I've heard people say, you know, I'm a 80-year-old man, but I feel like there's a 20-year-old on the inside of me. And I get that, you know, because how many of you know that sometimes in our bodies, they don't seem to exactly cooperate like they did when you were 17, right? It takes a little while, maybe sometimes to get going in the morning. Come on, let's just be real now. We live there, right? Come on. Don't get religious on me now. I'm not saying you have to stay stuck there, but what I'm saying is we... Look in the mirror. I even do it. I look in the mirror and I go, how did you get to be 62 years old? But on the inside of me, I feel like my grandson Keith back there who's 16. That's going on the inside. So there's this incompatibility in a sense. But with God, what he wants to do is he wants to take all that yummy stuff that he's put on the inside of you all that glory, all that perfection, all that goodness, all that gooey stuff. He wants to take all of that, all that perfection, and he wants to move it over into your soulish realm so that it shows up in everyday life, not only for you, but for others. And so that it shows up not only in your emotional realm, but so that it shows up also in your body. Why does he do something like that? It's because he loves authenticity. He loves truth. And he can say, son, if you only knew what I see in your spirit realm, if you could get a glimpse of that, if you could get a glimpse of that wholeness, if you could get a glimpse of that glory again, if you could get a glimpse of the love that exists there and the mercy that exists there and the grace that exists there, if you could see that. And that's why it's so easy for some people to really tap into faith because they're not looking in the natural. They're looking behind what we see in the natural. They're looking into the depths of God's heart. They're looking into the depths of what is already on the inside of them. And so, like I said, this is why it's so important to allow the word, the word to be able to drip into your heart and to transform you. This word is so, so vital for our lives. God loves authenticity. 
He doesn't like the phony stuff. He doesn't like the make-believe. He doesn't like the fake stuff. He loves genuine stuff. He loves agreement. There's power in agreement. And if you don't have agreement, you don't have power. When a husband and wife face a decision and one thinks they ought to do it this way and the other thinks that they ought to do it this way, there will be no power in that decision. There must be agreement. And the Father loves agreement. That's why he said, let us make man in our image. He didn't say, I'm going to make man today and see what Jesus thinks about this. No, he said, let us make man. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, let's all make man. And let's make him in our image after our likeness. And then let's believe that one day he'll discover that. <laughs> he'll discover my daddy made me. My daddy lives on the inside of me. He's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. I have everything I need. Quit reaching for stuff. Quit going to your cellar for stuff. Quit looking back. Look within. See what the Father has already deposited on the inside of you. He loves authenticity. He loves agreement. And when our character and conduct walk in agreement with our spirit, then power to live life and see good days is released. And it's a beautiful thing, friends. It will show up when you least expect it. Could be the grocery store, might be at work, could be anywhere. I've seen it happen so many times. I'm walking in harmony with my daddy's voice. I'm listening to his voice. I'm meditating on his word. And so when opportunity presents itself, it just kind of spills out. Doesn't mean I always say everything exactly right, but more times than not, daddy's heart will spill out. Amen? Unfortunately, many believers remain a tadpole or a caterpillar and never morph into the understanding, or should I say it this way, the identity of who they are in Christ. They're just happy, inching along, like a little caterpillar in life, never realizing, you know what, I could be flying, I could be soaring. They just stay stuck there. And until Christ is formed in you, that means in your soulish realm. Now, he's already formed in the spirit realm. Remember, we set that aside for a moment. Until Christ is formed in you, in your mind, your will, your emotional realm, until he begins to transform that area of who you are, you'll stay stuck. That is your understanding of or your cooperation with the finished work of grace then like a tadpole, you'll stay submerged in the water when you were designed to hop around on land even. Or you'll stay like a caterpillar and you'll remain. Unfortunately, so many people are in this cocoon of isolation. They just stay isolated. They're afraid of God. And so they insulate themselves and they isolate themselves with things. Friends, we are free. 
I want you to see what the word metamorphosis means, okay? It means the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form. I think we can kind of understand that. I like this definition, though. It says, a striking alteration in appearance, character, or circumstances. In other words, metamorphosis is something that can be seen, appearance. It can be heard, conduct. It can be seen in circumstances again. We know from the biblical narrative that the Gadarene demoniac went through a transformation. Do you remember that story? He went through a transformation the moment Jesus delivered him. The transformation began instantly. It wasn't gradual. It was instant. He didn't go from a boy to a man. He went from unhinged to sane in a moment. Transformation in Christ, come on, it's always positive. It's never negative. He is not going to morph you, transform you, form you into something that's hurtful for you or anybody else. It's always a positive thing. Always. Another way to say it is that the Gadarene demoniac went from bound to sound. He went from desperate to respite, and he went from destitute to resolute. Now that's metamorphosis. He didn't transform from a man into a woman because his manliness didn't work out for him the first time around, did he? No, he didn't do that. Jesus wasn't interested in this man just expressing himself through a more, you know, a more gentle approach to life, get in touch with the feminine side of you. Jesus wanted him whole. Jesus wanted him delivered, spirit, soul, and body. He wanted that man whole. He's not a partial God. He's a complete God. Therefore, Jesus' inner work ended up transforming him in appearance, character, conduct, and circumstances. You could say it like this. The Gadarene demoniac went through a metamorphosis. Friends, this is not possible until Christ is formed in you. But once he becomes formed in you, all things are possible. Now, when we consider the Gadarene demoniac's transformation, can we give any credit to a bar of lava soap and a Brillo pad? Can we give any credit to that? Did Jesus pull that out of his robe and say... <laughs> I got an SOS pad. You've been out here for a while. I got a barrel of us up. Boys, uh, get some water here, okay? Can we give any of the credit to a bar of lava soap and a Brillo pad? Not one bit. Can we give any credit to the Levi Jeans Company? No, even though the man was clothed and in his right mind after Jesus delivered him, they get no credit. Can we give any credit? To the Old Spice Company, you know, a little deodorant, maybe a squirt of cologne or something like that. They get zero credit. Only Christ, only the Father, only God could do something like this. All the things I just mentioned are exterior amenities. 
And the father's more interested in changing what's on the inside of a man because he realizes when this change takes place and you recognize what has been done for you, then that will change the outside of the man. We get this all backwards in the church. We want to clean people up from the outside. I remember Joyce Meyer used to always say, you don't clean a fish before you catch it. True, isn't it? You catch it first, and the Father catches us in his hands of love. And when he deposits on the inside of us the sweet Holy Spirit, and if we'll just listen to the sweet Holy Spirit, you know what? It cleans us up there as well. See, this grace message is not about just live life loose, have fun, you know, die young, leave a good-looking body. It's not about that, friends. This life is about showcasing the one, the one, the lovely one, Christ himself, giving him all the praise and glory and honor. That man's transformation or the metamorphosis that he went through took place, first of all, on the inside of the man. The outside of the man was just as filthy and putrid after Jesus set him free as he was before Jesus commanded the unclean spirits to come out of him. In other words, his body didn't change. His body, he still needed a shower. He still needed a shave and a haircut. He still needed things in the natural. Friends, let's give him time. Let's give him time to go home, okay? Let's give him time to go home and get cleaned up. So often what happens is we put this demand, we rush new converts by adding the pressure to clean up and grow up. We put that pressure on them by giving them laws and rules and whatnot. Give it time. Give it time. The inner transformation It's designed to spill over into your character. He's designed to spill over into your conduct. He's designed to permeate through your circumstances of life. He's designed to do all of these wonderful things for us. The scriptures tell us that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, worship and honor. We work out. We don't work in. We take that which is perfect the spirit man, and we work out that perfection into our mind, will, soul, our bodies. We work it out into our emotional realm. Friends, I've said it for years. Grace is a slow drip. How many of you have heard me say that? So slow, in fact, that many get offended at the slow pace of the metamorphosis. And you know what they do? They return to Egypt. They always think, you know, it was better, I think, over there, you know. There was more hoopla. There was more affirmation. No, let the slow drip come, friends. You're going to enjoy it, not just someday in the by and by. You're going to see it all along the journey. But it's a slow drip. I guarantee that because of the Gadarene's spiritual metamorphosis, he subsequently changed in appearance character and conduct now we don't see any further story of him but i guarantee it he changed why because a transformation took place on the inside of him may i recall our attentions to one of the definitions of metamorphosis it says a change in appearance character 
and circumstances. In fact, Jesus was so confident about the Gadarenes' transformation. You know what he told him? He told him to return home and tell everyone how much God has done for you. Didn't say you need to be micromanaged for a little while. He didn't say, well, you better leave the training wheels on for a while. He said, you know what? Just go home and tell everybody how much God has done for you. And I'll bet you he couldn't wait to get on the road again, right? He was very confident that this man would go home and tell everybody. He'd blab it all over town what God had done for him. Now a medical facility, a mental institution would have never dismissed that man that quickly. No, 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 no. They would have wanted to run more tests on him, wouldn't they? That's what they want to do. Run more tests on you. They would have run tests on him until the cows came home. Friends, you can throw away your test kit. You have tested positive for Jesus and his finished work. <laughs> You've tested positive. It's a good thing. In Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, we find these words. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man would not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Those were his words. He said, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains. What a man. What a man. He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, watch out, here it comes now, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. They went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened... They ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man. Oh, I love this part. When they came to Jesus, they found the man. That is, that guy that they called the Gadarene demoniac. They found that man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, thank you, Jesus, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Friends, don't be alarmed if you start telling somebody about the gospel of grace and they get a little afraid on you, okay? Jesus just delivered a man. This is the man he was always purposed to be. He's sitting at Jesus' feet. He's not running around like a crazy man. He's dressed. He's in his right mind. And now they're afraid. The townspeople are afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. 
Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, look at these words, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Isn't that awesome? So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, as I was meditating on this narrative, I was able to conclude that I had read this narrative many, many times over the years. But it never occurred to me until preparing for this message how few of words Jesus used throughout the encounter with the man that was classified as unhinged and beyond reform. I couldn't believe how few of words. And I thought, wow, maybe we make this thing too complicated here. I think we do. Jesus began by asking the man, what is your name? And Jesus concluded his encounter with the man with these words, return home and tell them how much God has done for you. What is our takeaway from the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde transformation of the Gadarene demoniac? What's our takeaway? What do we glean from this? Is this our blueprint for casting out devils? Is that what we're going to do? And many churches do that kind of stuff. Is this our pattern for discipleship? <laughs> it's so much larger. It's so much bigger. What we learn from the encounter is that people can be chained hand and foot. But until Christ is formed in you, you will also be chained in your mind. Like this guy. He was not only chained hand and foot. He knew how to deal with those chains. He had practice breaking those chains. It didn't matter how big the chains were under that demonic power, he would snap them and run around like a crazy man. But there was nothing strong enough to break the stronghold of his mind, the area that he was chained to the max until Jesus came along with words. Never laid hands on the man, spoke words. I'm telling you, the words that are inside of us are so powerful. So, so powerful. Believing that we have to conform to the law now. Come on. Believing that you have to conform to the law for your righteousness. You know what that does? That shackles your mind. That puts handcuffs in your mind. You cannot move around freely if you believe that the law, obeying the law. The law was made obsolete, friends. We have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, we have His blood, we're justified by His blood. I made that point in the last message I preached. But if we look to the law for our righteousness, that's exactly what it does. It brings the shackles back out, it brings the chains back out. That kind of teaching is nothing more than a hybrid gospel, a gospel that has no power to save, it has no power to heal, it has no power to deliver, it has no power whatsoever. A big portion of the body of Christ 
still wants to live under the guardian of the law. I've had people tell me that over the years. I would rather, believers, I would just rather live under the law. Why? Why would, I say, why would you want to do that? Well, because then I have checklists. I could just check off my little list to see if I was a good little boy, kind of like Santa Claus, you know, just, you know, naughty or nice list. No, friends, we don't need that. That's been done away with, friends. You have the Holy Spirit. He likes to talk to you. Just listen to him. Quiet the noises around you. Find a quiet place and just listen. Quit doing all the talking. Listen to him. I practice this. I get up very early in the morning and I just talk to daddy. But I let daddy talk to me. Let him speak to you. Just meditate. Get a scripture. Let it ruminate in your heart. Chew the cud. Go over it. Meditate on it. And let it come to life. Let it blossom in your heart. So a big portion of the body of Christ does want to live. They feel more comfortable because that's what they got used to growing up is just living under the law. And you know what it does? It confines you to solitary places. They are tortured and they are seized by rogue thoughts and emotions. They believe that the only way out of their pain is to keep asking the same question that the Gadarene demoniac asked, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of God? I can't tell you how many times through my Christian walk, every time I missed the mark, every time I felt like I had disappointed God, every time I felt like I had failed God, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I would go, God, what's my purpose in life? What do you want me to do in life? Like I thought somehow what I did was going to fix the part that kept showing up in my life. The reason it kept showing up in my life is because I hadn't really taken a long, hard, deep look at that spirit man living on the inside of me. And I hadn't allowed him to work out all that perfection, begin to work it out into my mind, will, and emotions. That's why it kept showing up. And so I was tackling it from the wrong perspective, and that is, God, (laughs) what do you want me to do in life? And that's what believers do. They say, what do you want from me? Quit asking that question. It's a pressure-packed question. And I don't know as though you're ever going to get the answer for that because you're looking in the wrong place. I was tricking the grandchildren on the way to church this morning, and I said, which president's on a $100 bill? And one of my grandchildren said, Benjamin Franklin. Valerie and I kind of snickered a little bit because, well, he is the guy on a $100 bill, but he wasn't a president. And so Valerie said, <laughs> Valerie said, you got to correct the question first. You got to correct the question. And the question is not, what do you want to do with me in life? What is my purpose? That's not the question. You don't need to ask those questions. If you're called to preach, if you're called to teach, if you're called to do whatever, believe me, it's going to show up somewhere. You can get on your boat to go to Joppa, but I'm telling you, you're going to walk it out what God has planned for you. Don't put the pressure on you to make it happen. Quit asking the question of what do you want from me in life? It's not the way out of the solitary place the confinement, the emotional pain that people are dealing with. That's the wrong question. That's the wrong medication. It will never take you out of there. It will just numb you for the moment. That's not the right question. 
There's no need for a question. Just look into the spirit. Look into the word and see how perfect he's made you. And then let that begin to cascade over into your emotional realm, your mind. Just let those truths of the finished work of the cross cascade over your heart. And you'll find you just organically quit asking those kinds of questions. Understanding and revelation of the Father's unconditional love. That's where it begins, okay? Revelation is more than just reading. Revelation is when he drops something in your heart that you didn't get out of a book somewhere. You didn't get out of a Bible somewhere. That's revelation. So understanding and revelation of the Father's unconditional love and his inexhaustible graces are the way, not just out of something, but the way into green pastures. I think I said that in the last message too. Quit trying to find the exit door. Where's the light? Let me move toward the light. Let me move toward the revelation of things. Unconditional love means that God's love for us is simply not limited by conditions. That's why it's called unconditional love. It's agape love. It's the purest form of love. It can never be tainted by any external source. That's God's love for you. And coming into that revelation that that's the way my daddy loves me with this unconditional agape love. And I can't change that. Who would want to, right? So unconditional love is not limited by any conditions. And inexhaustible grace means that his supply of grace is so awesome that it is impossible for us to use it all up. We also learned through the uh, Jesus and Gadarene demoniac encounter that it doesn't matter how long that you've been in a certain condition. The scriptures tell us he had been in that condition for a long time. It doesn't matter how long you've been in a certain condition. You will never be in your right mind until Christ is formed in you. That means, again, that which is in the spirit cascading, all that perfection, all that glory, all that honor, cascading over into your mind, your will, your emotions, and then into your body. And friends, I want to be honest with you. It took me 15 years before I began the journey out of the tombs that once held me captive. What were the tombs? Asking God the wrong questions. Always wanting to work for God because I thought I was kind of earning some favor with him. Always at an altar crying, begging God to forgive me. See, friends, that's a tomb. He's already forgiven you. He's forgiven you for your past sins, your present sins, and everything you'll commit in the future. When Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, that meant what he had done right there would continue to be active all throughout the believer's life, what he did there at the cross. So it took me a long time to understand that I'm on the journey out of this. And I could tell when I entered it. I think you've heard my story before. I had to get real with, with the father one morning. And I just said, Daddy, I'm giving you permission to mess with my file cabinet. I've got all my little files in order up there, but mess them up. Throw them out if you need to. 
burn them if you want to, but I'm giving you permission. In other words, my doctrinal understanding. This is powerful, friends. I know, listen, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but it's so powerful because we are hoarders. We don't want to let go of stuff. I don't care if it's a knickknack at home or what it is. We want to hold on to it. We don't want to let go of things. But when you give the Father, you give the sweet Holy Spirit permission to just say, you know what? If you want to, we can just start all over again. You can just reteach me. Isn't that what Jesus did for the Apostle Paul? He said, you learned all this stuff about the law. That was fine. But that dispensation, that is gone now. I'm going to take you into the Arabian desert and I'm going to teach you my father's heart. And he became the greatest apostle of all time. Through this narrative, we learn that Jesus has the ability and the power and the privilege to transform one's identity and that a transformed man's response will be to return home expressing the goodness of and the graces of God. Do you see how easy ministry is? It's that easy. Just wherever you go, expressing his goodness and his graces, his love. We simply express daddy's love, daddy's mercy, daddy's goodnesses, and daddy's graces. Amen? Did you know that God has already prepared in advance. He has already equipped man to be able to handle transformation, to handle a metamorphosis. But when man doesn't look to the Father, he doesn't look to God for his identity, his core values, his transformation, then he will search in all the wrong places. Career is one of them. He'll search within other people fame, drugs, religion, and yes, even through surgical alterations. Man is on a quest. He's like a hound dog on a trail somewhere. He is looking for his identity. Who am I? And if he looks to anyone except the Father and his finished work, he'll never find out who he really is. That cascading fountain will never get into his soul and transform him. There are many creatures that go through what is known as a partial metamorphosis, but then there are examples of what is known as a complete metamorphosis, a tadpole to a frog, a caterpillar to a butterfly, an amphibian and an insect that goes through a transformation or what I would call a total makeover. They don't look the same as they did at one time. Again, the clearest understanding is of metamorphosis is a striking alteration. And when I say striking, it literally means a conspicuous. It's obvious. It's prominent. It's out of the ordinary. So when we think about a metamorphosis, it's something that just can't get overlooked. There's something radically different about you. It's a striking alteration in appearance, character, conduct, and circumstances. All this stuff matters. 
What I've noticed is even in the grace ministries, they've gotten away from this because they're afraid that people are, are so stuck going, hey, it's the finished work of God. I don't need to do nothing. No, it is the finished work of God. You need to do nothing for your salvation, but there's other people that don't know him. And there's other people that are trapped in solitary places that you need to be able to reach down in with a word that allows the cascading perfection of the spirit to flow over their soul, their mind, their will, their emotions. So true. When I speak of character, it refers to things like personality. It refers to things like integrity and reputation and uprightness. How many of you know that character does not happen by accident? Come on. It says the result of something. Something brought about this. You know, the scriptures say, for out of the mouth flows the abundance of the heart. So if the inside man, if you let him, if you let him, he will overflow and your conduct, your character, your integrity, all of that stuff will show up. It will be so obvious. Please don't confuse character with passion. Passions ebb and flow. Passions come and go. But character is indelibly etched upon the heart. That's character. It flows from the heart. The writer of Proverbs would ask this question about character. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10. He said, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Solomon has taken the time to pen the book of wisdom, Proverbs. And this will be the last question he asks. As he is right at the finish line, Proverbs chapter 31, he asks one final question. He says, a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. For the next 19 verses, Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, who has much experience with wives, come on. <laughs> He's got to ask one more question. What he does is he puts together an amalgam, a composite, a mixture that extracts the best qualities from all 700 of his wives and he creates a word portrait of a wife that would be considered the gold standard in biblical womanhood. He said, this is what she looks like. I'm going to spare reading those for you, but I'm just telling you, go read them sometime. I used to read that and go, ah, she's still in first place. <laughs> oh, still in first place. No way to get ahead of this lady. Gets up too early, goes to bed too late, knows how to do everything. Sew, yarn, all that stuff. He, she knows how to do everything. Cook, everything. Meet her husband at the gate. Great reputation, great character. She would be, like I said, considered the gold standard in biblical womanhood. And after he paints the portrait of a perfect wife, one with noble character, he says, and one who works her fingers to the bone, he discloses the, let's keep it real, truth. Solomon writes these words. He says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman 
who worships and honors the Lord is to be praised. And that's just about how he closes out the book of wisdom. You see, while Solomon is daydreaming about the accomplishments of his fantasy wife, he makes the connection. He skillfully connects that which was taking place through his wife's works and hands to that which was taking place on the inside of her soul, worship and honor to God. He skillfully connected that for us. Friends, character is not earned. Character is learned. We learn character by working with him, watching him, walking with him. Watch how Jesus did it. Isn't that what Eugene Peterson said? He said, walk with him, work with him. Watch how he does it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Watch how he does it. He didn't feel like he had to interview the Gadarene demoniac. He didn't ask for any confession of sins. He didn't get into some long diatribe of how you got there and what you can do to prevent this from happening again. None of that took place. Remember, very few words. What is your name? Commanded the demons to leave. And then he said, son, go home. I trust you. When you get home, I want you to tell everybody what my father has done for you. Ministry, friends. This man wanted to go with Jesus, didn't he? He asked Jesus, can I go with you? Can I be your disciple? Jesus said, no. You can't come with me. My disciple, yes, go home. Tell everybody what my father has done for you. Tell them. You see, our purpose is higher than just like the Proverbs 31 lady, just morphed into a better and busier person. Our purpose is higher than that. Our purpose is giving way and then allowing Christ to be formed in us, friends. Allowing him to be formed in us. Our purpose is found in allowing him to express himself through our words and our hands. Don't forget your hands. Someone knocks on your door, hungry. You don't just say, well, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his light to shine upon you, his face to shine upon you. Amen. Close the door. No, 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 friends. We express him through our words and our hands. Kind of like the Proverbs 31 lady. Allowing him to transform our doctrine, allowing him to upset our religious apple cart, allowing him to take us from the baby stage to an adult stage, from the kiddie pool to the Olympic pool, allowing him to bring about striking alterations in our appearance, in our character, in our conduct, and then even into our circumstances, allowing him to do that. People stay stuck. Come on now. I've seen it so many times. They stay stuck because they don't allow him to work in those areas. They kindly say, no, thank you. Or they're just not listening. They're not on the same frequency as the Spirit. Friends, 
work from our hands and worship from our hearts are merely the responses that flow from the gratitude of our salvation by grace through faith as we are learning to trust in Jesus Christ alone. See, transformation or metamorphosis are words we don't use as much as we would repentance. How many of you know that the word repent means the same thing? It means to change your mind. It means to change your mind. The word re comes from the prefix return, and the word pent means highest place. Highest place like Pentagon, highest places of security, penthouse, highest apartment. Return, highest place, return to the highest place. And that's what the Apostle Paul would declare when he said, you have fallen from grace. Grace is the highest place you can get. And what have you fallen to? Back into the law? Back into performance? And so repentance begins, metamorphosis begins by us just changing, being willing to change our mind, return to the highest place. We were saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. The Apostle Paul in that fifth chapter of Galatians said, you have fallen from grace. He is not saying that you've lost your salvation. It means, again, that you have fallen back down into those unhinged thoughts that the law is your helper. No, friends. Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper, and he called him exactly who he was, paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, from the Living Bible, I don't go there too often, but from the Living Bible, we find these words. Because of his kindness, and that word kindness is in the Greek is haras, it means grace. Because of his kindness, you have been saved through trusting Christ by putting your faith in Christ. That's what trusting Christ means. And even trusting or Another way to say it, even faith, even trusting, even faith is not of yourselves. It too is a gift from God. Your faith comes from God. Your faith was given to you. You can take credit for nothing. Faith came from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done, so none of us can take any credit for it. It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives, look at this, in helping others. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, after you've allowed that perfect man from the Spirit to begin to spill over into your emotional realm, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Remember how I said it affects your body? And part of your body are your feet to take you to places, your hands to serve others with. It's beautiful. And then he says, never forget that once you were heathen, and that you were called godless and unclean by the Jews. But their hearts, too, were still unclean, even though 
they were going through the ceremonies and rituals of the godly, for they circumcised themselves as a sign of godliness. Remember that in those days, you were living utterly apart from Christ. You were enemies of God's children, and he had promised you no help. You were lost without God, without hope. But now you belong to Christ Jesus, and though you were once far away from God, now you have been brought very near to him because of what Jesus has done for you, come on, with his blood. For Christ himself, look at this, is our way of peace. He has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one family. That's the same thing he did for the Gadarene demoniac, brought him into the family. By making us all one family, breaking down the wall of contempt that used to separate us, by his death, he ended the angry resentment between us caused by the Jewish laws that favored the Jews and excluded the Gentiles. For he died, look at these words, for he died to annul that whole system of Jewish laws. What part of that don't we get, friends? I don't know how we can look at this stuff because I guess it's just because we have trained our minds to see things in a certain way that we just cannot see truth. He says right here, he died to annul. Come on, how many of you know what an annulment is, right? It's an undoing, right? He died to annul that whole system of Jewish laws. They don't exist for us today. Then he took the two groups that have been opposed to each other and made them parts of himself. Thus, he fused us together to become one new person. And at last, there was peace. Friends, these scriptures make it so plain that I honestly don't know what commentary of my own I can add to them. I said, Holy Spirit, I don't know what I could even say. That is so plain. And the Holy Spirit said to me, no baseball player hits a home run and then is required to run around the bases twice. One trip is sufficient, isn't it? And what Jesus did for us was and is and will always be sufficient. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. His one and done trip to the cross was sufficient. He will never carry the cross again. He will never die again. And through his blood, the scriptures just told us that he has brought us very near to the Father, very near to him. We are saved by his loving kindness. We can take no credit for our salvation. What is our response? How about worship and honor? How about that? Worship and honor. How about helping others? with our hands and words? How about releasing those that are chained, hand, foot, and mind by their religious works? How about expressing ourselves as a man or a woman of noble character? That goes a long ways. Express yourself that way. It will draw people into conversation with you. 
How about shedding the grave clothes that once clothed us and then returning home to tell others about what God has done for us? Amen? Did you know that what's on the inside of the man will eventually show up on the outside of the man in the form of his personality, integrity, reputation, and uprightness. We are living in a world whereby the character and moral excellences of man has degenerated into an alarming status. So what's the answer to this degeneration? Come on, ask that question. What is the answer? Because I know you've been... You've been praying that, God, what do you want me to do? God, what are we going to do in this situation? What is the answer to this degeneration? What's our response to the woes and the troubles we face? Should we lock all the criminals up? Good question. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus lock up the Gadarene demoniac? (laughs) No! He unlocked him! Is Jesus our best example? Remember I said, watch what he does. Walk with him. Work with him. Watch how he does it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. If there was ever a man that needed locking up, it was the Gadarene demoniac. And Jesus didn't just not lock him up because he was afraid he was going to break some chains. Believe me, if Jesus would have put a chain on him, he would have never gotten out. But it wasn't his heart to lock him up. He was already locked up. You see, that's the problem sometimes. People are already locked up. They're locked up in a prison of their mind. You don't rehabilitate a man by locking him up. That does nothing. Solitary confinement does not release a man to have a normal mind. Something else has to come along to release him from that. Something that's greater than the power he has. Nothing was released in the Gadarene demoniac until Jesus came along. And each of us must do our part to release both the believer and the unbeliever from the prison cell of hopelessness and even confusion. How do we do that? Through the message of God's unconditional love and his unmerited graces. Now, if this gospel had been ministered from a child to every man that was ever born, then 99%, I'll say, Let's go like, let's, let's beat Lysol. 99.92%. Okay, let's get ahead of Lysol there, okay? Lysol does a good job disinfecting. But if this message would have been preached, come on, from a child in everybody's home, this finished work of God's unconditional love and grace, then our prisons and mental facilities would not exist. But it's not ministered from a child, and that's the problem. Only about one in five U.S. adults attend church on a weekly basis. And the majority, the overwhelming majority, 70, 80 percent of our children walk away from church after they've become an adult. Why? Because there was nothing there to hold them. And now they're searching for love in all the wrong places. They're looking in their careers and drugs and other people and and other things but they can never find satisfaction. Why do so many of our children walk away from church? Because Christ 
was never formed in their souls. I'm not saying they didn't accept Christ. The perfection was there, but no one ever taught them that this perfection can spill over. It can leak out. It can seep out into the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. They were not taught that. Because Christ was never formed in their souls. That is the area that we live in. They never saw him as the altogether lovely one. As a result, our children believe that what they are missing, they can just go find it in the world somewhere. And they walk away from the church. Did you know that righteousness is a metamorphosis also? Unlike the tadpole to the frog and the caterpillar to the butterfly, righteousness is instant. You see, a tadpole takes 14 weeks to turn into a frog and a caterpillar takes four weeks to turn into a butterfly. But with Christ, the spirit man becomes 100% perfect. You can trust his perfection. Let it cascade. Let it spill over into your soul. Come on, bring it on. Bring it on. One goes through a metamorphosis or a transformation when they go from sinner to saint, from unholy to holy, from darkness to light, from lost to found, from death to life, and from unrighteousness to righteousness. One of the most profound examples of metamorphosis is when a man transforms from a law-based life in Christ to a grace-filled life in Christ. And most of the church is still in the cocoon of law-based Christian living. I'm not throwing them under the bus, friends. I'm just speaking the truth, okay? Remember, like I said in the beginning of this message, we're curators. We're to bring them the gospel that's filled with grace and truth. What am I getting at? For believers in Jesus Christ, transformation takes place on the inside. The Spirit of God immediately transforms the spirit man. However, the soulish man is in this lifelong process of changing in appearance, in character, in conduct. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, we find these words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. <laughs> I love that. Old things are passed away. Transformation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Next scripture. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not, look at these, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Next scriptures. Now then, we are ambassadors. Ambassadors, you know what they do? They work with their hands. They work with their mouths. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled. In other words, reconciliation means to look alike. When you reconcile your banking ledger, you know what you're doing is you're saying, I want this to look like what my bank says it's supposed to look like. That's reconciliation, friends. 
And it says there, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made. It's a finished work. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We're made. We're a finished work. We're not in the making. My final scriptures are in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 19. Boy, you can say thank you, Jesus, for this, can't you? But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus was born under the law, friends. But what was the purpose? To redeem us. Redeem means to purchase out of. It literally means to purchase out of slavery. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Come on, get that in your vocabulary. Let's just get rid of that Greek word for a second, that Abba, Abba, Abba. That's like a little bitty baby. It means Papa. It's a term of endearment. It literally means Daddy. We can call him Daddy. We can call him Papa. And it says, when you come into this revelation that the Son lives in your heart, your response is going to be, Abba, Daddy, Papa. So, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. In other words, like the spirit man cascading over into your soulless realm, all daddy's fortune cascades over into you. He's made you an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, he asks this question, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? One version says, to those weak and miserable principles. In other words, he's asking, why would you want to go back to bondage? Why do you want to live in the cemetery again? I got you out of there. Why do you want to go back there? And then he says, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again. He says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters. Paul said, become like me, for I became like you. He says, you did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. In other words, he's taken the Galatians as he's writing to them back to when he first met them and shared this gospel and then he realized they got ran off the road by those drunken Judaizers. 
and he's got to come to their rescue again. And then he asked the question, where then is your boasting of me now? In other words, he's saying something changed on the inside of you. He's not accusing them of losing their salvation. They hadn't lost their salvation, but something changed. Something stopped this flow over here from cascading over into your emotional realm, your mind, your will, your feelings. He said, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people, now he's referring to the Judaizers. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Isn't that awful? And then he says, it is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. Then I want you to look at these words. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That was the inspiration for this message. The Greek word behind our English word formed that Paul used there is only used one time. One time in the entire New Testament. It is the word morpho. It refers not to the external or transient, but to the inward and real, expressing the necessity of a change in character and conduct, watch these words now, to correspond, to mirror, if you will, the inward spiritual reality and condition so that there may be moral conformity to Christ. Just as a baby will form in its mother, likewise, we transform in Christ. Everything the baby needs is supplied by its mother. Therefore, when the Apostle Paul used that word, morfao, he used it in a motherly analogy as giving birth to her dear children. This is how important the Galatians were to him. You see, in delivery, the baby is not actually the one doing the work. The mother is. And Paul is letting the Galatians know that as we allow transformation of the soul, that is our mind, our will, our emotions, as we allow that, as we permit that, it will take the form that embodies the essence of the inner man. It will look just like him. It will show up just like him. You ever met a mean-spirited Christian? I have. A lot of them tell you off in a snap. That's because what's on the inside has not cascaded over into here, into the soulish realm. In doing so, our inward spiritual condition will be expressed through our outward appearance, character, conduct and circumstances. 
When the Galatians attempted to accomplish their own spiritual growth through the external means of the Judaizers, such as circumcision and the obeying of the Mosaic law, they relapsed. They retarded their growth and forced the Apostle Paul back into the delivery room. That's why he said, I'm back in the delivery room again. Paul could have abandoned the Galatians. He could have left them. He could have forsook them. He could have said, you're too much of a bother. But he was resolute. He wrote these words to his beloved Galatians. He said, I am again in the pains of childbirth. And I will remain there until Christ is formed in you. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Many believers are drowning in their religious gospel because their indoctrinations do not allow for transformation from the inward spirit. They just kindly say no. The climate of satisfaction and fear are the two main culprits inhibiting a metamorphosis from taking place in their souls and in their bodies. The thought of dramatic change, well, it's scorned. And as a result, they remain babies all the days of their lives. They really don't know a thing. Babies with rogue thoughts and emotions. Babies whose feelings have to be strapped down at times. So let's ask the question, will they still go to heaven? Yes, of course. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the finished work. The answer is yes. But the question, let's rephrase the question. The real question is, while they're here, Will Jesus be expressed in a way that compels others to run to him with the same question that the Gadarene demoniac asked? What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Friends, believers have a choice. We can follow the principles of the old covenant law and remain a tadpole or a caterpillar or we can allow the new covenant of grace to morph us into our true identity, the identity that reminds us that we are no longer bound by weak and miserable principles. All it takes is our cooperation. The Holy Spirit will do all the work. From the inner man, the Spirit has the power to bring about a striking alteration in our appearance our character, our conduct, and in our circumstances. He can morph the unhinged to sane, the bound to sound, the desperate to respite, and the destitute to resolute. You can search the world over, but until Christ is formed in you, true transformation will elude you. It will be like trying to grab a handful of mercury. It will just slip through your fingers. Career Fame, drugs, sex, 
And all other religions are nothing more than external and transient substitutes. Here one day and there another, there is no life but through Christ. Understanding and accepting the Father's unconditional love and His inexhaustible graces, you know what it will do for you? It will sit you at the feet of Jesus. Suddenly you won't have as much to do. There won't be as much going on. All the other activity won't mean as much. Sitting at his feet like Mary did while Martha was banging pans in the kitchen. It will sit you at the feet of Jesus. Clothe you with a robe of righteousness. And impart to you the mind of Christ. I'm talking about a love from the Father that is not limited by any conditions, and a grace that is not exhausted by our repeated failures. Hear the words of Jesus, the words he said to the Gadarene demoniac. He said, go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. Tell everyone how Jesus and his finished work of grace set you free from running the bases. Tell everyone that Jesus' one and done trip to the cross was sufficient to carry all of our sins. Tell everyone that through his blood, he has brought us very near to the Father. Say, I see you, Daddy. I'm looking into your eyes. Abba, Papa, Daddy, I love you. And tell everyone Please tell everyone how he released your hands, how he released your feet, and especially how he released your mind that was at one time chained to all your performance. So, that question, that question that Solomon asked, the very last question in the book of Proverbs, Let's answer that question. He said, a wife of noble character, who can find? Friends, Jesus is the one who found the wife of noble character. That wife is you and me, us and we. We are the bride of Christ, and we are worth far more than rubies. For Solomon, she was no more than a fantasy, a composite of his 700 wives. She was a portrait, a type and shadow of the bride of Christ. You see, Solomon lived under an old covenant, a covenant that drew pictures of hard work, deceptive charm, and fleeting beauty. But Solomon could never have the bride that his heart searched relentlessly for. You see, that whole time she was reserved for Jesus. She is the one who worships and honors Jesus Christ, and for that reason alone, she is praised. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much, Daddy. 
Thank you, Father. We look back through the old covenant, we see all the types and shadows. We see the portraits that were drawn, foreshadowing what was to come. And Solomon got it right. Who can find a bride like this? Well, Jesus found that bride. That bride is us. We are your darling bride. And we thank you, Father, that as the awareness of your unconditional love and the awareness of your unmerited, inexhaustible graces begin to cascade from the inner man, the spirit man, and all of his perfection as that begins to cascade over into our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our feelings, and then into the members of our body, our hands and our feet and our tongue. As we go in life, we get to minister this gospel of Jesus and his finished work. And we get to tell people, hey, I am the bride of Christ. He loves me. He loves you. And so, Father, I thank you that you're releasing people today from the cemetery where they've been bound, alive but yet bound, alive but yet dead in many ways, but you're just releasing them through the words, the simple words, what is your name? And my response is, well, I'm the bride. I'm the bride of Christ. And then hear the words of Jesus. When he says, now go home and tell everybody what Abba Papa has done for you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.